Hello and welcome to Talking New Retina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leaders from the world of retina and beyond. We'll also keep you up to date with the latest news from the Society. In this episode, we'll be looking at the suite of treatment options now available to clinicians in Europe for AMD and DME. Before we go into that, though, the Retina Congress will take place in Barcelona this year, of course, and submissions for free papers, e-posters and videos are now open. Click on Events and Barcelona in the Retina website for more information. Also, the very successful mentorship program is once again open for applications until the 11th of April. It's a fantastic program. And if you'd like to know more about how it works and how to be a successful applicant, we covered that in a previous episode of the show. So check it out in the podcast feed. All right, time for our expert discussion. And with Aflibercept 8 milligram getting approval in Europe, there are now quite a few anti-VEGF treatments available for clinicians to take advantage of. Some old, some new, not to mention biosimilars. We're joined now by Professor Sandrine Zweifel from University Hospital Zurich and Dr. Stella Vyosevich from the University of Milan to explore. Sandrine, over to you. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, the treatment with intravitreal anti-VGF injection has been indeed a very successful story. 2006, ranibizumab was approved for treatment of neovascular AMD based on the clinical trial results, the Marina and Anchor, you are all aware of these uh, trials. And for the first time, patients with neovascular AMD gained vision. And then a couple of years later, in 2011, aflibercept was approved for the treatment of neovascular AMD. Aflibercept is a decoy receptor fusion protein, which blocks all isoforms of vascular endothelial growth factor, but also placental growth factor. And then more recently, prolocizumab was approved. Um, was also assessed in uh, two large randomized uh, clinical trials. Unfortunately, some issues with side effects with retinal vasculitis came along as the treatment was approved. And the most two recently approved anti-VGF drugs in our armamentarium are farizumab and the high dose, the 8 milligram aflibercept. So I would like to uh, ask you, Stella, now that we have like all these different anti-VGF molecules available, what does this imply for you in your clinical daily practice? They are all approved based on huge phase three clinical trials, but how do you apply these results of the clinical trials in your clinical daily practice. Thank you, Sandrine, for this, I would say, very important question. So both these new drugs that you mentioned, farisimab and a high dose of Libercep, were tested uh, and uh, then approved after large clinical trials. And uh, for both indications, so AMD and DME, and recently in the States, farisimab has been approved also for the retinal vein occlusion. So all these uh, large uh, randomized clinical trials showed us that these drugs 
are able, let's say, to better control the disease activity in both indications and to allow us to uh, deliver less injections to the patients. So this is something very important because in this way, the burden of these uh, diseases can be decreased uh, for both the patients and also the healthcare systems. However, uh, all of these drugs uh, did not allow us to increase visual acuity more than with the, uh, let's say, more standard drugs that we are using in our uh, clinical practice. For example, if we think of aflibercept 2 milligrams that they were compared. So definitely something that is important, there is a better disease control and a longer durability of the treatment because in fact both of these drugs allow to treat a major part of the patients either on Q12 or on Q16 uh, dosing intervals after the initial loading dose. Th that is something that definitely was missing before, and that is an important uh, benchmark, I would say. So currently, uh, with all of these drugs that are available, I think the most important thing will be to understand which drug is the best for a specific patient. Uh, in both indications, uh, neovascular AMD and DME. So that's something that we need to understand even better. And I think here it will be crucial, the um, imaging evaluation of our patients. So the evaluation of different parameters uh, on, for example, OCT or whatever, OCTA, in order to understand what treatment is the best for a specific patient and in order to be able to deliver the best treatment uh, from the beginning. Because as we know, sooner we treat the patients with the right drug, uh, the better functional results can be obtained. Stella, thank you uh, very much. I mean, uh, you mentioned several uh, important uh, points. I think we have learned a lot over the last couple of years. I mean, I said 2016, ranibizumab was first approved. In the beginning, we did like monthly treatment for every patient. Now we try to adapt the treatment regimen and the molecule based on the patient level. So more, not like a generalized uh, treatment. And we also in neovascular AMD have a, a paradigm shift that we actually treat more proactively and um, not in an issue just like for gaining vision, as you said. We try to treat proactive to prevent actually already like advanced stages in AMD, like the development of uh, subretinal fibrosis and atrophy because there are still, even if we have improved in, um, in an individualized treatment uh, approach, adapting or extending the treatment interval, we still have issues we are not able to tackle in an in a, in a efficient way. So we still haven't an uh, effective approved treatment available for uh, the treatment of subretinal fibrosis or also for the treatment of, of atrophy. 
maybe you can also add uh, some comments here. Yeah, I agree completely with you, Sandrine, that we are uh, treating currently all different uh, macular diseases in a very late stages of the disease. So we treat the disease when we have, for example, significant diabetic macular edema or when we have neovascular AMD with the signs of exudation. For the geographic atrophy in uh, Europe, we still don't have approved treatments. So that is definitely... Uh, I would say all of these create an unmet need for our patients. It would be really uh, important if we uh, were able to treat them before the visual acuity drops in order, as you said, to preserve the vision. So in order to, uh, or to postpone the onset of the decrease of the vision, that would be something important. And of course, as you already said, um, uh, compared to the to, to the beginning of the anti-VGF era, where we actually did monthly treatment, we now have effective treatments available, which allow a longer durability. So even in a treatment interval, as you mentioned, of 12 or 16 weeks or even longer. In my point of view, I think it is always crucial when we look at the results of the phase uh, three clinical trials that we look into the details of the study protocol and that we look into the details, what were the criteria for an extension of a treatment interval or like uh, a decreasing a treatment interval because in every study protocol, this was uh, handled in a different way. Sometimes, for example, uh, a, a protocol is focusing more on uh, structural parameters and functional parameters. And in another study, uh, we are focusing more on structural parameters. Usually in our daily clinical uh, life, we look uh, more into the structural biomarkers and the structural response to the treatment because as you already mentioned we want to treat this patient as early as possible and we want to prevent irreversible vision loss i i agree with you what you said and uh, definitely I think it will be very important, our experience also in uh, clinical settings, not just in a setting of a randomized uh, clinical trial, the use of these drugs in different phenotypes of the diseases that we are treating. And then by using these drugs, we will, I think, uh, learn even more how they can be delivered in a more personalized way. I'm always talking about, you know, the personalized treatment. And um, the one very important thing, what we learned from these uh, clinical trials is that these drugs are safe drugs. So that is also something important for us. And that can also, you know, uh, decrease the burden of the monitoring visits in between the treatments. That's something also uh, very important. And um, as you said, these drugs can also, let's say, make the retina uh, drier, so with the less fluid, even before than the comparator drugs in the trials. So in this way, the disease control can be obtained better. We need to learn from the beginning uh, for a specific patient 
how long the retina can be maintained, let's say, in a dry condition in order then to be able to treat them at the right moment and to know how much we can extend the treatment from the beginning. That's also something important. And also how these drugs can, let's say, modulate or can change uh, different uh, conditions of the, let's say, of the disease activity. For example, if we think of inflammation, it's something very important in the retina, in different diseases. So I think by using um, imaging biomarkers or biochemical biomarkers, for example, from aqueous humor or vitreous, we can learn very well how specific drug can modulate for example, uh, the inflammatory response in the eye and how the drug can be specific uh, for a specific uh, condition. Or, as you mentioned before, the fibrosis is also something that it is uh, still for all of us very challenging and we still don't have the treatment of this. So it would be important to see if a specific uh, treatment uh, can, let's say, more prevent the development of the fibrotic scars and in this way preserve the vision of the patient. Or on vascular stability, if we think also on that, it is something that is important. Uh, Neovascularization. So there are different, different signs that uh, show the disease activity based on if it is DME or it is AMD. And I think it would be really important to evaluate it very well in a specific, uh, let's say, condition. Thank you very much, uh, Stella. When we look at the uh, uh, clinical trials, phase three trials are always in a non-inferiority trial design. So when uh, a new treatment uh, gets an approval, this is based on a non-inferiority trial. What does it mean for you in your clinical daily practice? It means that this treatment is not superior. There is no um, uh, clinical data so far available that the treatment is superior compared to the already approved treatments. These are usually, as uh, Stella already said, we have to gain our experience in the real world to see for, uh, let's say, what specific patients the treatment might be more effective. And of course, the more improvement we also have in our uh, technical and imaging modalities, including machine learning, we will be able to maybe also predict which patient responds best to which molecule. But these are all um, uh, information we will need to gain over time. So far, for example, for the aflibercept uh, 8 milligram, uh, the uh, pulsar and the, the photon trial, we just know that these treatments are non-inferior to the already approved 2 milligram aflibercept. Of course, we also have to think about sometimes there is another volume applied uh, with the intravitreal injection. For the 8 milligram, it's a little bit the higher volume, it's 0.7 a microliter and we have to think about also safety concerns like intraocular pressure and these are uh, usually also experience we will have when we apply the treatment widely in, in clinical practice.
So we have touched now like the several new anti-VGF uh, treatments uh, available, also focused a little bit on the more uh, recent one. But in addition, uh, now there are also biosimilars newly approved and available within that anti-VGF armentariums. So far in Europe, there are two ranibizumab biosimilars approved, but of course there are many, many more in the pipeline. And this will be an other area we have to uh, consider what are the advantages or disadvantages regarding biosimilars or regarding the use of biosimilars. But first you need to know what are biosimilars because biosimilars are not the same as generic drugs. Generics are identical to an already approved product and biosimilars, they may have differences from the originator molecule because they are produced in living cells. Maybe Stella, you can say a few words how biosimilars are usually approved. What do the clinical trials look there? We have touched on the clinical trials for the other drugs. So how does it look like to get a biosimilar approved? Yes, Andrine, as you just mentioned, so the biosimilars are extremely similar to the uh, innovator biologics for quality, safety, and efficacy, but there are some minor differences in clinically inactive components compared to the originator. Uh, usually, the biosimilars are approved with just a single uh, trial, phase three trial, uh, compared to the uh, original drugs that we know uh, we need at least two phase three trials. And the trials are much shorter. Uh, and then also they uh, can be approved, uh, the trial can be on one disease and then uh, it can be applied also to different diseases when it is approved. So it has, I would say, completely a different way uh, of approval, much simpler than uh, one of the originator drugs. Uh, I completely agree. I think that is uh, something very important to keep in mind. I mean, usually you look for a biosimilar eight weeks uh, at the visual acuity outcome and even four weeks at the structural outcome, for example, at central subfield sickness. But of course, we also have now published data available for up to one year uh, of uh, uh, ranibizumab biosimilars use. And they seem to be, as you said, regarding efficacy and safety profile similar to uh, the ranibizumab. I think one other point we can discuss is that in our busy clinical uh, setting, very often use, we use a pre-filled syringe, which actually helps us to uh, save time uh, because you don't have a while, you don't have to uh, uh, draw the drug into a syringe. And biosimilars, but also 8 milligram uh, aflibercept and vabismo, so also the newer treatment available, they are not yet available in a pre-filled syringe. What is your opinion in, in, uh, for this topic, uh, Stella? 
I mean, in, in my clinical practice, we use very often the pre-filled syringe because like the patient flow is quicker. Regarding endophthalmitis, I don't think there is like uh, hard uh, data available um, uh, to argue that in a while there is a high risk for endophthalmitis, but it saves time. Definitely, the pre-filled syringe is something that saves time. Uh, we still don't have it for the new drugs, but I hope we will have it in the near future. About the safety issue of the endophthalmitis, uh, at least my personal experience is not different to the pre-filled syringe. And I really hope that we will have this pre-filled syringe soon. So just to conclude now, after this, I would say, interesting conversation, Sandrine, and I'm glad to hear uh, that we think in a similar way about all these new drugs that we now have available. And this is definitely the opportunity for our patients and for our ophthalmology community. It's always better to be able to choose among uh, different treatment options than to have just one available or even none available. So that is something that opens uh, definitely new options for the patients. And I hope we will be able also in the near, near future to understand even better how to use them in a more personalized way. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, Professor Sandrine Zweifel and uh, Dr. Sela Vujosevic, um, thank you so much for, for that really interesting discussion. And we'd love to hear from you, actually, uh, off the back of that discussion on biosimilars. Uh, there doesn't seem to be the same take up here in Europe. Why is that? And uh, is that a treatment that you offer to your, your patients? Please do let us know. You can email us podcast at uretina.org. That's it from us. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time here on Talking Your Retina. I'm Jonathan McRae. We'll catch you soon.